There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Long Shot is a production of McClatchy Studios and iHeartRadio. Previously on Return Man. When I first came here, it really was a hick town. Just likes the people, blacks sometimes, associated with each other. We was poor, but we didn't know that we was poor. Mama always provided. Butch was an outstanding athlete from a little boy. He was, he was good. <laughs> Football, baseball, and basketball. Mm-hmm. He probably could have won pro in Yeah. Springs control Lancaster. This is the Orange Bowl. It'll be jammed 80,000 fans today, Super Bowl day. It's harder to imagine brighter lights than the Super Bowl in a place further from a dirt lot in Lancaster, South Carolina, than the Orange Bowl in Miami. Just before game time, it is already filled, and believe me, it's been a tough ticket for this game. For Tim Duncan, who was once a standout at Bar Street High, and now a star on the rise for the Baltimore Colts, 1970 was the best year of his life. Hi, everybody. This is Kurt Gowdy, along with Joe Namath here in Miami. Joe today at the Baltimore Colts, champs of the American Conference, the Dallas Cowboys champs of the National Conference. Jim had left his southern mill town in the early 1960s. Some might say escaped. It's another effort on the part of the president under the guise of so-called civil rights. But that Sunday in Miami, he was an NFL Swiss Army knife on the cusp of stardom 
and the eyes of 60 million people were upon him. And now we're going to take a unique look at the starting lineup. Jim Duncan, number 35, the top kickoff return man in the American Conference. From the poorest side of Lancaster's Main Street, Jim had arrived at perhaps the biggest game in the world, culminating in a play that would go down in Colts history. And a fumble and the Colts have recovered. Jimmy Duncan drove in there and recovered that fumble. The high point in a life that soon began crumbling around him. From the Herald, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio, this is Return Man. I'm Brett McCormick, and this is part two, From the Cotton Fields to Glory. The third longest bridge in the world, spanning Chesapeake Bay, is ready for service. In 1964, Jim Duncan left Lancaster, bound for Maryland's eastern shore. As the cars begin to roll over the brand new bridge, each motorist is saving 125 miles from the eastern to the western shore of Maryland. The year he graduated from Bar Street, Jim's high school head coach, Sandy Gilliam, had been offered the head coaching job at Maryland State College in rural Princess Anne. Dad was very loyal to friends and family alike. Rosie Gilliam is Sandy's son. When he left South Carolina, I guess, and went to Maryland State College, he took some of the players that he had coached in high school. Obviously, he knew their talent, and it was his first recruiting, I guess, task to convince them to come, and that made them the success that I think they were. Maryland State College is now known as Maryland Eastern Shore. Located about 130 miles from Baltimore, it's a historically black college and was a safe harbor in a remote corner of Maryland, stalked by racial tensions at the time. Princess Anne had been the location of the last recorded lynching in the state of Maryland. How can you tell black people to be nonviolently and at the same time condone the sinning of white killers? The summer before Duncan arrived at college, nearby Cambridge, Maryland was in flames after a visit from H. Rapp Brown, then the chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. We built the country up, we'll burn it down. You can quote that. I say violence is necessary. Violence is a part of America's culture. It is as American as cherry pie. Rosie Gilliam's father was Jim's coach at Maryland State. And Gilliam remembers his family's home there became an oasis for the football players. And in the process, Rosie's parents got some free babysitting out of it. Our parents would, you know, I think they'd almost manufacture a reason for them to go out and they would have several players over at our house. Would, you know, they hang out in our basement and play records. Dad would make sandwiches and leave them in the refrigerator. These young men and women became my brother and I's babysitters, and, and at the same time, they were, quote, having fun. Rosie Gilliam rubbed elbows with some all-time greats at Maryland State. During the four years Duncan played for the Hawks, 12 football players from the school went on to the NFL. I'm sure on some levels we were bratty little kids to the players because we were always around them. And they're our heroes. I mean, we may not appreciate that this player or that player was NFL player quality, but if you're on the team, you were considered a big person. And yeah, we'd hang out with them as much as, you know, a kid could hang out with somebody 10 or so years older than they were. Duncan played offense, defense, and special teams for the Hawks. He lined up at quarterback, safety, and returned punts. He ran two kicks back for touchdowns in a game against Lockhaven with 67 and 87-yard returns. 
Outside of football, he played on the school's basketball and baseball teams for at least one season each and earned his way into Maryland State's Athletic Hall of Fame. You can still find Maryland State yearbooks online. In one, Jim is pictured with other multi-sport athletes at the school. Standing directly in front of his football coach, Jim is beaming in the front row, wearing snazzy white dress shoes, dark sunglasses, and a giant grin. Duncan was very, very quiet, a really nice person, which you would say he's maybe not going to find particularly to play defense. Upton Bell was the Baltimore Colts' director of player personnel from 1966 to 1971, and he was the first NFL scout to see Jim's potential. In those days, the defenses were much tougher, I thought, better, and you had to really be tough to play. And his toughness belied his really almost sweet personality. In 1967, Bell urged the Colts head coach, future Hall of Famer Don Shula, to make the drive across the Chesapeake Bay and check on Maryland State's overlooked players. Johnny Unitas already has such a grip on the slippery bubble of sports immortality that one expects red velvet ropes to go up around this dressing cage on the day he retires into the record books of pro football. The Colts were all set at quarterback, as is evident from this episode of Woody's World on CBS from that year. Woody Brune is profiling Johnny Unitas, one of the most mythologized quarterbacks in NFL history. As a leader, Unitas belongs to the school of that other great quarterback, the Duke of Wellington, a man whose coolness only grew as Napoleon's old guards came close to breaking the pocket at Waterloo. But Upton Bell was certain Jim could help the Colts in other ways. He had such great speed and quickness, and he was tall. I said, this guy would be a great punt returner. But remember, unlike today, where there's no, no kickoff or punt return, essentially, then it was much more important. Special teams were important. If he did nothing else, he could break one in a close game and you win. The Colts picked Jim in the fourth round of the 17-round 1968 NFL Draft, held that January. He signed a contract with the team three months later. And six months after that, Jim bought a wooded plot of land in his hometown of Lancaster for $1,700. There, he had a local contractor build a three-bedroom house for his mother and siblings. Everyone in the neighborhood felt invested in Jim's success, including Floyd White. Oh, man. We have to be able to build a house. We have to be able to house. I worked with my buddy. He was in construction then. He built my house and then built that house. But it, it was, you know, it was nice. It was nice. It's kind of like what you see on TV now. White helped pour the concrete foundation of Jim's new family home. And once it was finished, County records show the house at 425 Isom Street was valued at $25,000, about $180,000 in today's money. The home was still on the east side of Main Street, but in a safer part of town, closer to the high school. The move reflected the promise carried in Duncan's 200-pound frame and offered a path out of poverty for his family. And you can imagine eight kids and a shotgun out. When I say shotgun, straight through front door. Like a, like a long, narrow... Yeah, you, you got people sleeping in one or two beds, and you got them sleeping on the floor and everywhere. Yeah. Do what you got to do. As Floyd White said, it was just a few blocks, but a whole world away from that shotgun house in Newtown. So that Isom Street house was oh, a man. big change. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's a change in the environment. So they had a chance to see the brighter side of life instead of all the negative side, you see. We'll be back after the break. 
This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good. And I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The year Jim Duncan was drafted, the Colts were loaded with veterans on defense and special teams. If the Colt offense was efficient, its defense was invincible, flawless, and superb. NFL Films couldn't say enough about them. It was a defense of swarming blue jerseys that forced so many breaks, the offense rarely had to take the ball more than half the field. So Jim spent that 1968 season practicing in Baltimore as a defensive back and kick returner during the week. Then he headed to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania on weekends to play for Baltimore's farm team, the Capital Colts. The players called it the taxi squad. Oh yeah, <laughs> nothing fancy. Yeah, yeah. 
Jeff Beaver was the quarterback for the Capitol Colts team Jim played on. This is like the great football. Yeah. But, you know, the fans in the little towns that we played for loved it because that was their professional teams. There were four Colts rookies on that Harrisburg team, which was largely made up of part-time players with day jobs. More than half the guys on the team we were on, the Capitol Colts, they were during the day, and that's just extra money. Okay. That's, that's what makes it so unique for us. Yeah. Because here we were, they... You know, they were thinking we were the hot shots and we were trying to make a living just like they were. Yeah. I was playing professional football for six months and had a job at the bank in the other six months, so we were living large. I think we bought a car. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Early in his time with the Colts, Jim also had another job. In the offseason, he worked in the mailroom at Springs Mill back in Lancaster. But there on the field in Harrisburg, Jim clearly stood out. After one of the team's wins, a local reporter wrote that he, quote, looked like a record-setting dash man during a 65-yard interception return for a touchdown. He was a lanky, tough guy. Yeah. I had a great smile. Okay. He was a great, he was, I remember he was one hell of an athlete. I do remember that. Baltimore fans remember that season mainly for the team's historic loss in Super Bowl III, when Colts quarterback Earl Morrill had a lousy game in place of the injured Johnny Unitas. And Jets quarterback Joe Namath engineered one of the greatest upsets in sports history. But Colts fans in Harrisburg remember something different. The raw promise in that lanky rookie from South Carolina. And the next year, when the Colts cleared out their aging defensive backfield, Baltimore gave Jim a chance. He quickly made the most of it, scoring his first touchdown in the third game of the 69 season. The Colts trailed the Falcons 14-7 with 24 seconds left in the first half when Jim Duncan took a kickoff and raced 92 yards to tie the game at halftime. The Colts finished 8-5-1 in 1969 and just missed the playoffs. But by early the next season in 1970, Jim was at the peak of his football powers. 6'2 and 200 pounds, he had become the most feared kickoff return man in the league. We're just about ready to get the second half underway. Easily recognizable by his black puma cleats with taped white laces. Deep for the Colts, Jim Duncan. Against the Dolphins that November, Jim caught the second half kickoff and knifed toward the right sideline. Passed a teammate's block, then he gallops 99 yards for the score. He cuts to the outside, gets a block, he's at the 30, the 40. Miami tacklers were left in the literal dust of the grassless Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. It's not like Baltimore didn't have its own issues with civil rights. This is the story of a street which has been rejected by a large segment of society. Pennsylvania Avenue became the bustling center of the black man's working life and leisure hours because downtown was more or less off limits to Negroes. By the early 1970s, Baltimore's historic black cultural corridor downtown, once home to theaters and countless jazz clubs, had fallen onto hard times. But the sounds of Pennsylvania Avenue are not all musical. There is, for example, the sound and fury of the spoken word so vividly projected by the man known simply as X. Whether you are a Christian or a Muslim or a nationalist, we all have the same problem. They don't hang you because you're a Baptist, they hang you because you're black. The government has failed us. You can't deny that. Anytime you're walking around here singing, we shall overcome, the government has failed. The year Jim was drafted by the Colts, 
Baltimore, too, had been in flames after the killing of Martin Luther King Jr. CBS News reported from the front lines of that uprising. Pennsylvania Avenue in Baltimore's Western Negro District, where the severe trouble was last night. Maryland Governor Spiro Agnew instituted a curfew, and the Army was sent in to control the city. At 6.11 this evening, I requested federal reinforcements. They should now be taking positions in the critical areas. A curfew is now in effect. Please keep off the street. We know now, as never before, that violence is no friend to freedom and that the mob is no ally of civil rights. Still, players from the time remember the Colts as a unifier. At the very least, white people had no problem with the black players wearing Colts blue. And by 1970, when the Colts and their marching band took the field, there was nothing but celebration among the fans. We didn't have to pay for anything, hardly any place that we went. Throughout my research on Jim's life, I spoke multiple times to Bob Grant. He was drafted by the Colts the same year as Jim. Sometimes they would ask us to sign a few autographs, even at the grocery store, cashier would ask you for it. Uh, stock boys would ask you for it. That's the way that it was back then. We truly were princes of the city at that time. So Jim grew his hair out a little bit and bought a Lincoln Mark III luxury car in canary yellow. He told a reporter that year he loved Burt Bacharach's music. And Jim began teaching himself to play the piano. He was an amazing dresser. Even back in Maryland State, Jim's sense of style had stood out. And Bob Grant told me a pro football player's salary only amplified it. All of the clothes had to match, including the shoes and the socks. There would not be one single thing out of place whenever we dressed to go out or when we were on the road. Back in Lancaster, Jim's family and friends knew him as Butch. But there in Baltimore, teammates called him Speedy. According to Grant, it seemed as fitting off the field as it did on it. There was uh, lots of female companionship available, and it was uh, pretty easy to meet young ladies back then, especially if you were a ball player or an entertainer. And we were ball players. I spoke to Ernie Acorsi during my research. He was the Colts' public relations man during the 1970 season. He chose not to appear in this podcast, but of course he told me Jim's base salary that season was probably about $15,000. That translates to roughly $100,000 a year in modern terms. It's a far cry from today's half-million-dollar minimum contracts. Even then, it was much less than what Colts stars like Johnny Unitas or tight end John Mackey were paid. But of course he said it was right in line with what most other players earned. Outside the locker room, the black Colts players had few equals in their socioeconomic class. A solid middle and upper class for people of color in this country was still largely absent during the civil rights era. So even if $15,000 might not have been enough to live like a king, teammate Bob Grant said it was enough to live like a prince, especially there in Baltimore, where their money was no good in most of the places they went. The two friends both rented luxury apartments downtown in a building called Sutton Place, they drank beer on Grant's 12th floor balcony and watched the sunset over the Inner Harbor. It was the first time in Jim's life he could embrace financial comfort, even wastefulness. We would talk and we would listen to music and he would drink half of a bottle and he would open a new one. So when Speedy like your left, there would always be somewhere between six and 12 half bottles that were just left there. 
when we were on the road or at the restaurants in the city, Speedy always ordered two meals. He would never eat the second meal. And he told me that when he was a young man, he had had a lot of days that he didn't have enough food. And now that he had made it, he was never going to have a day where he did not have enough food in front of him. Grant also said that Jim had planned to write a book. I asked him once, I said, okay, well, what are you going to call this book, Speedy? And he says, from the cotton fields to glory. Jimmy Duncan was a good man. I think that he would have done some good things in life. We'll be back after the break. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. He came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Baltimore won seven of its first eight games that 1970 season. And of the nine people I interviewed for this podcast who worked with or played alongside Jim, all said he was a fine guy to have in the locker room. The first thing you noticed was that he had a great attitude. He was cheerful, upbeat. Bill Curry was the Colts center and team captain during Jim's time in Baltimore. The second thing you noticed, and there's some good about it and there's some real bad about it, in the NFL, this is what counts the most. But if you can really play, if you're a hell of a player, you get instant credibility. Yeah. And he could flat out play. Probably would have been a great player had he lived. Jim Duncan will receive this kick. That 1970 season, Jim led the league in kickoff return yards with a 35.4-yard average. Booms it. It is coming to Duncan. A real threat. He's to the 10, 15, to the 20, and to the 25. But that's not all. Jim took over a starting job as cornerback, too, in what's now considered one of the greatest defenses ever. And hit on a great play by Jim Duncan. He's made two good tackles coming up from the cornerback position. Every day, you know, he gave me the look of the opposing player that the teams we going to play. Eddie Hinton was a receiver with Baltimore. He remembers Jim as a lockdown defender on a Colts team that only allowed 15 and a half points per game that season. And he just stayed on me. I mean, just sometimes I would defeat him and sometimes he'd defeat me. And when he defeated me, I went home. I was mad. My wife was, couldn't understand. I said, you got the best of me. And you don't realize I'm thinking about how I'm correct that the next day in practice. Hinton scored seven touchdowns for the Colts that year, tied for the most on the team. He told me that was partly thanks to Jim. maybe four or five times because Jim would give me the look and having that kind of teammate kept you on edge. You know, you never had time to relax and he was always prepared for every game. The Colts finished the 1970 regular season 11-2-1, then charged into the playoffs. United's back to throw, fires, the pass is complete to hit at the 25, to the 20, to the 10, the 5. The Colts are playing fine football this afternoon. The Colts swept aside Cincinnati and then Oakland. The Baltimore Colts are the AFC champions. Soon, they were headed to Miami for their second championship game in three years. NBC Sports presents, for the championship of professional football, Super Bowl V. The American Conference champions, the Baltimore Colts, versus the National Conference champions, the Dallas Cowboys. On January 17, 1971, Jim suited up for the biggest game of his life. Two years ago, we covered the Colts and the Jets, and so far, everything's sort of going wrong for Baltimore, almost like it was two years ago against New York. Footage of the game shows Jim eager to throw himself into pileups, though early on, his impact was mostly felt on special teams. There's the kickoff, a short one. He returned four kicks in the Super Bowl for 90 yards total and almost broke this one near the end of the first quarter. Running up on it is Jim Duncan, a great kickoff returner to the 30, brings it out to the 36. He's averaged 35 yards a kick return, and he usually gives Baltimore good field position after a kickoff. The Colts trailed 13-6 at the half, and in the locker room, the news got worse. The Colts learned before the second half that their star quarterback was questionable at best. After a hit earlier in the game fractured Unitas's ribs, Johnny Unitas has not come back out on the field. We understand from the Baltimore bench he is having his ribs x-rayed. But right now, this ballgame is in the hands of Earl Morrill. Then, as if the Colts needed any more adversity to overcome, 
Jim gave it to them at the start of the second half. Here's the kick by Clark. Duncan fields it on the seven. He's to the 20. Oh, he fumbles, and that's the fifth Baltimore turnover. It was one of the only fumbles of Jim's career, and a series of punishing runs by running back Dwayne Thomas pushed the Cowboys toward the goal line. Then, on the two-yard line, Dallas looked to go up 20-6 and take control of the game. The old standard T, they give it to Thomas, trying to spin to that goal line. But in one of the most consequential plays in Colts history, Dwayne Thomas plunged toward the goal line, right into the heart of Baltimore's defense. And a fumble, and the Colts have recovered. And it was Jimmy Duncan who drove in there and recovered that fumble. Jim recovered the ball. Earl Morrill settled down the Colts' offense. With the score tied at 13 and time running out, Colts kicker Jim O'Brien lined up for a 32-yard field goal. Nine seconds. Here comes O'Brien. He's been slightly erratic at times. And the kick is good! Jim O'Brien with five seconds. The Colts lead 16 to 13. Morrill was the focus of the postgame interviews, having avenged that Super Bowl loss to the Jets two years earlier. Well, we're here in the Colts locker room again, the world champion Baltimore Colts, I should say. Earl Morrill, who came off the bench following the injury to Johnny Unitas, what a long time. You and John both have waited for this. It's a great feeling being on this side, on the winning side, and uh, I hate to see anything happen to Johnny. I just tickle think about it. Uh, it's a great feeling. But Jim got his due as well. Each player on the Colts was given a $15,000 bonus for the win. Jim was young, handsome, and now a Super Bowl champion. The Baltimore Colts are the world professional football champions. But no matter how fast he moved, Jim Duncan could never outrun his demons. And on part three of Return Man. Look out, Duncan, at the Kansas City 49-yard line. He had his odd ways, but I just thought that, you know, we all got a little odd ways. As long as he did what he needed to do in the field, that's all I was interested in. Going deep, touchdown. And Duncan is complaining it was out of bounds. Duncan is complaining because he wasn't covering. I'm a really good NFL team. You don't have a bunch of really well-adjusted Sunday school guys. Jim had some problems, but I didn't remember what they were, and I did not get involved. I'm Brett McCormick. Return Man is a production of The Herald, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio. It's produced by Matt Walsh, Kara Tabor, Kata Stevens, Rachel Wise, and Davin Coburn. The executive producer for iHeartRadio is Sean Titone. For lots more on this story, go to heraldonline.com slash returnman. If you have any additional information about Jim Duncan's life or death, email us at returnman at heraldonline.com. To continue supporting this kind of work, visit heraldonline.com slash podcasts and consider a digital subscription. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.